For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Daniel has been given a vision of the countdown to the end of the world here in chapter 7. Now in chapter 8, he's given a new dream about a coming conqueror who foreshadows the Antichrist of the last days in striking ways. Let's join Pastor Ross now in a message entitled, Antiochus and Antichrist. Alright, so we have seen now starting last chapter in the book of Daniel, now in the second half, which is the prophetic half. Uh, Daniel's been given the countdown really to Armageddon, and we saw that last uh, time with uh, a four-fold progression of world empires until uh, the end of the world. And so we saw that in chapter 7, and I'll remind you about the beasts that were interpreted there in the, uh, the days of Babylon. Just ran out. I can't believe it. It really is the end of the world. <laughs> the days of Babylon the, with the lion, the, Greek, the, the, the Medes and the Persians with the bear, the leopard, the Greek empire, and then the Roman beast there that reigned almost close to a thousand years. And then the ten horns on the top there is really an extension of a revitalized uh, European coalition of nations from which a little horn comes, and that would be the Antichrist. So, so we talked about that uh, last week. And uh, now we're on to a second dream here in chapter 8. Uh, and, and what happens here is, is that we sort of, thank you so much. Thank you. Is it working? I was just seeing. Oh, it's green. All right. Can you see that? Nice. Oh, I was going to need that too. I was wondering, oh man, how, where am I going to, yeah, good. So I'm so happy. Okay. Daniel chapter 7 was the progression all the way to the end because the rock that was cut out without human hands makes contact with this kingdom, which is an extension of this localized European Rome kind of thing. And so that's the overarching theme, right? Now we're going to have a dream that begins to be written in Hebrew. He was reading and writing rather in Aramaic. Now he has switched to Hebrew because he's going to back up and he's going to talk about the Persians and the Greeks going at it. And in that time arises a, a, a little horn again. And the little horn is kind of the mini-me of the little horn to come. And so what's important about this and why he's writing to the Jews is because it involves something horrible that will come under Greek rule, under Greek rule, under this empire, an antichrist wannabe will arise, and he will be Antiochus Epiphanes, and we're going to meet him in world history, and we're going to see this, but the point of this is that chapter 8 now is going to just talk about these two clashing, and then that little king coming 
from this third empire and how it reflects on the end time. All right, so are you up to speed? Now let me tell you this. There are three symbols in the dream. Here's how we're gonna attack it tonight. So in chapter eight, three symbols. We're gonna take the first symbol and here's how it's laid out. First, the whole dream is told and then the whole interpretation. So it's a little confusing to do it that way. So what we'll do is take the first symbol, cut to the interpretation, done. Second symbol, cut to the interpretation, talk about that, done. Third symbol, cut to the end of the chapter, explaining the third symbol, and then bring a conclusion. How does that sound, good? All right, good. Keep me in your prayers tonight. Get my mouth working properly. All right, three symbols tonight. The ram, uh, the goat, and the little horn. Okay, here we go with the first part. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision. After now two years have passed since the fourfold vision. After the one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa, in the province of Elam, In the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as he charged toward the west, the north, and the south. No animal could stand against him, and none could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. Now let's hear Gabriel is going to give the interpretation, so it's a good one. That was kind of a joke, but that's okay. Gabriel is an angel. He appeared to Mary. You remember him? All right. Okay, keep those prayers going. (laughs) While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Uli calling Gabriel. Tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near to the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground, and he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of, the, in the time of wrath, because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. All right, so what do we have? We've got a pushy ram, and that is the empire of uh, the Persians. All right, so now in the time of the dream, uh, Babylon is still in power, all right, the lion, right? So while he's getting this vision... um, Belshazzar had not read the writing on the wall yet. So this dream begins kind of fast-forwarded to the next kingdom, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, all right, which, which was represented by the bear, all right? And so uh, Persia now is in control as that second kingdom. Now, the description of the dream begins with Persia uh, and, and uh, with, uh, with the picture of a ram. So I have a picture of a ram, okay? So the two horns, 
He says, I saw it had two horns, but one was longer than the other. Well, the Medes and the Persians, remember, remember the bear was Persia and, and the Medes. The bear was lopsided. Well, here we go. We need an image of two animals fighting. So he's going to change the imagery, but it's the same uh, empire. So the Medes and the Persians, he says, they both had long horns, but one, the one that came after, which was the Persians, came into the, the Darius the Mede came first, then Cyrus the Persian, all right? And, and so the second group grew longer because it really sometimes you drop the word Medes, right? And it's just the Persian Empire. So right away, and, and, and second of all, it's not a far stretch to know that this is uh, Persia because the, uh, the leader of all the Persian armies held, bore uh, a ram's head, always. Uh, on Persian money, stamped a ram's head. And, and, and other things, all in, uh, all in uh, the, not fossils, but the architecture that is brought up. Uh, you always see the ram's head. So you know that it's Persia. Now, uh, Persia uh, is dominating. Can you go back to the first part of the dream? So, so he's dominating this goat to the west, to the north, and to the south. Now, do you remember the bear had three ribs in the mouth? Oh, those are the three ribs right there. So the north and the, and the south and the west. Now, no one could stop him. For, two, for 200 years, Persia just took over the place. Um, let me show you a map of what this ram was doing because your text says he's just going north, he goes all the way into the Soviet. This one doesn't work. Remember that? He goes into the former Soviet. All the stands are up here. Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan and all of that. So he, he has no problem going north. And he has no problem going south. All right? And so he goes down into to the northern part of uh, Africa. All right? And so this is all of Persian, 2.9 million square miles. And now he's starting to go into Europe. This Europe starts here, all right? So he's starting to get into Europe. Uh, he had no problem uh, going, ramming his way in these three directions uh, until here. And that's when he runs into some trouble. So, um, so now here's the interpretation. So let's, uh, we, we already know what it says. Daniel is going to get some help. So why don't you jump to those verses there? Thank you for that. So he gets some help. And we always see that when God gives a revelation, he, he wants us to be in the light. He wants us to walk in the light. He wants us to know stuff. So he reveals it to us. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 12 says that I'm the light of the world. If anybody uh, walk with me, they'll never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so God always, you know, Jeremiah 33 and verse 3 says, call to me, and I will show you things that you're not aware of. And so uh, the book of Revelation is to unveil. That's what the word means, apocalypse uh, in the in the. Uh, in the Greek, actually. And so uh, Daniel's going to get some help. He doesn't even have to ask for it. An angel is there. He's trying to figure out what, what does this all mean. And, and uh, he, God wants us to have clarity. He provides Gabriel there uh, and a voice to Gabriel saying, hey, Gabriel, tell Daniel what's up with all of this. Now, you know, a few observations is, first of all, they're, they're 
humanoid-like. He looked like a man. So they look like us. So they can take on our form. There's never a mention of wings on any of them, though there is mentioning, mention of them flying. And so that is where you get the wings, but nobody's ever said that they have wings. We don't have any record of that. Uh, another thing is, is that he calls him son of man as distinguished from himself. Like, hey, listen, human being, you know, you're some, someone at, a born of a woman and a man, as opposed to he was created, you know, Gabriel uh, in an angelic way, of course. Um, and they have names. God is my, my strong man, is what Gabriel means. God is my strong man. That's so cool. And, and Daniel, uh, like most who have encounters with these kinds of angels, he he's just falls down and he's quivering and uh, he is filled with fear and trepidation. And, um, and, and I notice also that they have power to strengthen. Uh, you know, when Jesus was suffering in the garden, an angel appeared to him to strengthen him. And so we see them touching. Now, you know, have we been touched? We don't even know that. But it says in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14 that angels are ministering, helping spirits sent to help those who are inheriting salvation. And so here, 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 a classic example of uh, him ministering uh, and with strength and revelation uh, to Daniel. And so what makes this interesting is that three times he says, uh, this is about the end. You're seeing a sneak preview of how human history will end. That's the meaning of the dream. Now, it doesn't end when the Greeks go in and thrash Jerusalem. So he's talking about, you'll notice three times in, in verse 17, this is about the time of the end. Verse 19, twice. This will happen later in the time of wrath. That's the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord has not happened yet. So what he's saying is, you're going to hear, you're going to get a, prof, a prophetic image, image of what's coming in the nearer future that will really have its fullest meaning at the end of time. And so that's why it's important. It sort of has a near fulfillment and a distant uh, fulfillment. And so, uh, so we've got a ram, the Persian and the Mede a coalition. It's head-butting across the world, pretty much undefeated, until verse 5 through 8. As I was thinking about this, this ram with the horns, right? Persia. Suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between his eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. Okay, so we're in Empire 3 now. It's coming after Empire 2. He came toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at him in great rage. I saw him attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering his two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against him. The goat knocked him to the ground and trampled on him, and none could rescue the ram from his power. The goat became very great, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. Interpretation. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes is the first king. 
we, we know his name. The four horns, and we know their names, that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms. We know where, where they are that will emerge from his nation but will not have the same power as Alexander the Great. And so we're going to talk about this now. So uh, now we've got a charging goat. So the pushy ram has uh, picked a fight with Europe. And this is going to be the first time that uh, Europe will, will rule. Okay? Now, this is pretty important because we could all be speaking Persian right now if Alexander the Great and Greece did not dominate over the Middle Eastern marauders, okay, the, ra- the raiders. They came into Europe, and Alexander the Great, uh, uh, with God's help, pushed them back and really conquered uh, the world. And so uh, I've got a picture of the, the, the coming together there. So we've got Greece. We've got Alexander, okay, and we've got Persia, and he's going to put that horn straight through the heart, and Persia goes away, and he's going to take over the world. And what's really uh, fascinating about it, and what is called to your attention in the scriptures, is the swiftness of it. Uh, his hooves aren't even touching. He's, he's galloping, but he, he one gallop, and he goes so fast, he's not even touching the ground. You remember the leopard with the four wings, That's Greece, and Alexander is leading the way, and the history books really tell the whole story. So uh, the goat, uh, in verse 8, it says, the goat became very great indeed. Uh, Entire libraries uh, and, and college courses are taught about those swift years. 13 years, Alexander the Great, in his 20s, led Greece to conquer the entire world. That whole map, it, he even enlarged it a little bit and went into India. And so with his troops and with uh, just the military genius, uh, you can read about the details are fascinating. Battle after battle after battle. Uh, this long, prominent horn is the leader that takes Persia and the Persian Empire down completely Now, uh, we even know the year. (laughs) In 323, uh, uh, he's mopping up there. He's already done. He's in charge. He's king of the world. He's 33 years old. And he he has four generals. But this is what the history books. I went to history sites. This is what I was taught in history class, that he started to want everybody to bow down and worship him. He wanted divine honors. And and one of those generals, one of the four horns that are going to come up, does not like to bow down to him like that. And so he gets a fever. Nobody knows exactly. The rumor is that one of the four horns that are about to come up poisoned him. But he died of a fever, uh, he was partying all night. He got a fever. And in the morning, I guess it was actually 10 days, and he died. The horn broken off. Now, uh, speaking of those four generals, the four horns come up. I have a picture of that as well. So the goat loses 
There goes Alexander. Sorry, it was really small, but we tried to make it bigger. And so four generals are famous in the history books. He, he, his, his kingdom of Greece is divided four ways. And we're not going to talk about that little guy yet. But uh, let me show you who they are. Cassander, who is accused of killing him. Lysimachus, Lysimachus here. Seleucus and Ptolemy. Those are the four horns that spring up in place of the big horn that got uh, knocked off there. Uh, and so there are four kingdoms that, uh, that emerge, and they do not uh, equal the former strength of the Greek empire uh, under Alexander. Now, Alexander did a whole lot of good. I mean, the Greeks, do you have any idea? I mean, I just wrote down a few of them that, uh, I mean, the things that started with the, with the Greek empire, you know, you have Pythagoras with the whole multiple multiplication tables and the whole theorem about right triangles and all of that at Pericles, the education system, the way we educate ourselves uh, comes from them. Plato, uh, Hippocrates, the father of medicine, uh, all during this time. Did you know that Aristotle was Alexander the Great's tutor? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember that somewhere in the back of my mind, but you have all the astronomers, Aristarchus, who was the first one to say, you know, the earth is moving around the sun. So, so uh, and then the, the most important thing is Greek. Because the language, they made everybody speak Greek. The whole world had to speak Greek. And then the gospel writers wrote in Greek. And the New Testament was in Greek. So thanks to Alexander the Great and his team uh, for putting the world under one language, one significant language where the gospel could go out. So you see what's happened so far? So all we've had is so we've had two, two clashes, right? Now we have a third kingdom. The Greeks are ruling. Alexander was broken off. There are four guys that come up. Now let me show you that goat picture again. Now the story's about not one of the four big guys, but from one of those regions comes a little horn, the Antichrist wannabe, and we know his name, Antiochus Epiphanes. All right, so the rest of the book, uh, chapter, I should say, is about this guy. All of that drama to get to him because uh, he represents one who's coming, all right? Because that's what Gabriel said. This is about the end, the end, the wrath, the end, right? So some way he's going to give you some clues. He's a real person and he really did stuff, but what he did was so much like the Antichrist. You know, he's like the Antichrist mini-me, all right, so but mini me comes first, and so yeah, moving on with that. You didn't see that movie. <laughs> All right, so now we are going on to the little horn. All right, let's finish up. Out of one of them, the four horns, came another horn 
which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. That's the only reason why we're talking about him. It's because he wanted to mess with God's people. It grew until it reached the hosts of heavens and it threw some of the starry hosts down to earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the prince of the host. Wow. It took away the daily sacrifice from him and the place of his sanctuary was brought low. Because of rebellion, the host of the saints and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking and another holy one said to him, how long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled, the vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation and the surrender of the sanctuary and the host that will be trampled underfoot? How long is this whole thing going to go on for? He said to me, it'll take 2,300 evenings and mornings. So you're going to divide that number in half then to figure it out. Then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. Now to the conclusion. So in the later part of their reign, the Greek kings there, when rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. That, that's, it's stronger in the original language. and We know what he considers himself to be, God. When they feel secure, the Jews, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes, Jesus. He will be destroyed, but not by human power. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that have been given you is true, but seal it up for now, for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. And so that kind of completes where we're at. Now, the language is so similar to the New Testament's description of the coming of the Antichrist that people get these two horns confused. Let me just clear this up once and for all. I need the four animals up there. This Antiochus, this, this little horn comes from this kingdom. We already know that this horn comes from the fourth kingdom, Right? So we already know that the little horn that arises from the 10 coalition horn comes from a fourth kingdom, not the third. So it's the, it's the prototype guy. It's the prototype guy. Now, let me show you a chart that probably isn't going to come out right. But let me show you this chart of, okay, so very often in scripture, there's a near fulfillment and a distant fulfillment. In other words, for example, Isaiah. Isaiah can see Bethlehem. He writes about Bethlehem and Jesus being born. He also writes about the cross. But he also writes about the second coming and the millennial kingdom. But, uh, you, you know, so I, I, I think that you can say that 
you know, this is what we're seeing here. It was, Daniel is seeing Antiochus Epiphanes and what he's about to do in Jerusalem and the way he's going to go about it and his similarities. And, and in the next peak is the end that Gabriel said. He's really a picture, even though he's a historic picture. Look, God, God does it all the time. Uh, Ahaz, King Ahaz, wanted a sign that, every, that his two enemies, the king of Samaria and the king of Damascus, uh, were not going to defeat him. So he asked the Lord for a sign. And, and he was given a sign that a virgin shall conceive and, and give forth and, and bear a son, and his name would be called Emmanuel. And by, by the time he's two years old and eating solid food, hey, n- no worries, those kings will be gone. Well, come on. Now that's the near one. Well, Isaiah 7:14, really, for us, in all intents and purposes, is talking about the virgin who is going to bear a son. He will be called more than Emmanuel. He will be called Jesus. See, so there's, there's usually something right there and usually something in the distance, and this is what we're seeing with this little horn here. All right, thank you for that uh, slide. Now, about this insignificant horn that rises to power, all right? Um, and, 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 and I'm thinking of something else. Moses is like Jesus. Jesus is the second fullness of the deliverer that Moses was, right? And so in the same way, Antiochus Epiphanes is the first Antichrist, and the Antichrist senior is the real deal. And so uh, we know which horn that this Antichrist, any. Antiochus comes from because Seleucus, can I have the map again? Seleucus, the little horn is his brother and the little horn killed him, the big king of this whole region. And when he killed his brother, Antiochus Epiphanes turned toward Israel. So the little horn, his brother, says, I want the whole world to worship Zeus, to worship me, and to Hellenize or to make Greek uh, the entire kingdom. And so that's what he's set out to do. He murders his brother and then goes after um, Israel. So first we see his, his character. So you can go back to the 9 through 14 for me. First, we see, uh, we know his name, we know who he is, and we know by the direction of his army uh, who he is and where he's going. He's going to the beautiful land. And so uh, the character is he's an egomaniac. His horn grows into the heavens, right? And so he has an obsession, but his problem is with God. And it's all about pride and just the way, the same way that Lucifer fell. Now, uh, He wants the world to worship Zeus or to worship him, right? So, in fact, his name means manifest God. 
Now, that's not a problem for most of the world. If you put a gun to their head and say, hey, I want to be worshipped as God, they're like, no problem. I don't really have a God of my own anyway. So, you know, you'd make a good one right now, especially with that gun pointed at me. Um, But um, not so with the people of the beautiful land. Or they they don't worship Zeus, and they will not worship a man. And so that's, that he hears of that, and he goes after them. And so, first of all, it's called the beautiful land. That's how God thinks of Israel, the beautiful land. And of course it's beautiful. It's also called the glorious land. Ezekiel chapter 20 uses that, Psalm 48 uses that phrase of Israel, the beautiful land, the glorious land. And yes, it is indeed beautiful. It's the truth center of the world. Where did God reveal himself to the entire world? This little, (laughs) the size of New Jersey, this little strip of land, and these, these people he adopted into his family. The, the covenants, the promises, God's word, the temple, the worship. Of course, it's the beautiful land. That's where God became a man through one of those people in that land to die for the sins of the world. Of course, it's called the beautiful land, the glorious land. And so he makes his way there, the actions there in verse 10. Um, he throws down the starry hosts. And so uh, the people of God are sometimes referred to as the hosts of heaven. There is a, is a time in the Old Testament called the, the people of heaven is really who shine like stars. And Philippians chapter 2 has us shining as stars as God's people. And so obviously he doesn't go to heaven and throw down angels and what have you. Uh, So he's talking about God's people, throwing them down and trampling them. Those are his actions, his unparalleled pride there that he wants to fight against the prince of the host, which is God himself, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so... He does a lot of damage to the people of God. It says there in verse 24, and by the way, verse 24 tells you that the stars he's trampled on from the heavens are the people of God. The interpretation tells you that. So you don't have to wonder about that. Verse 24 uh, lets us know. And, And just a beautiful description. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3, he says, the wise who are God's people will shine forever like the stars. Uh, So that's what he's talking about there. Now, verses 12 and following, um, this Antichrist Jr. is allowed a period of success, and he's going to prosper. The Jewish worship is going to be halted because of murder and looting and the destruction and the desolation of the temple. Um, Verses 13 and 14, we're told that there's a time Limit on Antiochus's reign there and his destruction of Jerusalem. Um, uh, it's going to be, there's this conversation that takes place between the angels and how long is this going to last? And he says 2,300 evenings and mornings. So it's about three years. And sure enough, history books, three years later is when it comes to an end and there's uh, restitution and um, the temple is cleansed, and uh, we're going to talk about how that happens. Uh, and so uh, there, the, uh, the, there's conversation about this abomination of desolation. And all that means, it's, it's when this guy goes into the temple, he's going to put a statue of Zeus, and he's going to do some terrible things. He's also going to offer swine 
on, on the altar and human beings. And then he puts a statue of Zeus there. Now, this is called the, the abomination of desolation. All it means is abomination, horrible, horrible thing. Desolation, defiling and destroying. Okay, so it has a title. Uh, but it didn't just happen then. Okay, there's a mountaintop there. And there's another mountaintop. Because at the end, the world leader is going to do the abomination of desolation. Only he's going into the temple. He's going to say he is God. And he's going to have a statue in his honor. And it's going to speak. That's the fulfillment of the abomination of desolation that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 24. He says, when you see that happen, and he's speaking to Jews who find themselves in the tribulation, he says, when you see that happen, as spoken of and as Daniel spoke in the, as a prophet, he's talking about this, this, these chapters here. And they'll know, they'll know exactly what that has to do with. And so, uh, so let's look at the interpretation real quick and see how it relates to the end of the world. So uh, first of all, he says, when the world is really ripe with evil, when the rebels are, are doing their thing. So moral uh, uh, degeneration is a sign uh, that the world is ripe for the little horn to arise. And by the way, many people think that that little horn, the, the Antichrist, is alive somewhere. A lot of people believe that, including me. Um, moving on here. Um, I like what uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 says. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. You see, because there was a verse, verse 23, when rebels have become completely wicked. That's when he comes, right? When the world is just like you just can't believe. Right is wrong, wrong is right. Everything's upside down and inside out. That's when he comes up, all right? And uh, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemous, uh, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of, of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of self, having a guise of spirituality, but no power to transform their lives. That's what he's talking about. Number two, he says that he's fierce. He has a fierce and cruel countenance. It really means he's just nothing. Nobody should mess with him. He knows what he wants, and he's going to be cruel and fierce uh, to get it. But your verses say there that he's a master of deception. And so there's going to be a, a strong delusion that is going to come on the world uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I think I have the slide here. And then the lawless one will be revealed. And there he is. He's called the lawless one or the beast or the antichrist. Now we're talking about the one to come. The Lord Jesus will over, overcome him with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power 
through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways the wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. So he comes, your verse says that he is um, a master of deception. And uh, your verses go on to say he, he's very strong but not in his power. Revelation chapter 13 says the dragon gives him his power. This guy is going to get a fatal shot to the head. And Satan himself is going to mock the resurrection of our Lord and Savior and raise him from the dead. That is how you get the statue that speaks because they build a statue to honor this resurrected one from the dead. And that's the statue that speaks Revelation chapter 13. It's coming. This is all coming to a neighborhood near you. No, not really near you, actually. We're going to have box row seats up in the clouds with the Lord, right? Uh, Now, just a little bit more here. Uh, It says the world will be caught off guard, verse 25, um, when everybody feels secure. So we know from other places that he, he brokers a peace treaty. He is the Savior. The whole world looks to him... And, and, and I have this right here. Second Thessalonians uh, 5 says that it, I, I don't know if I have that one. Do I have the 5 one? Apparently not. <laughs> it says that um, he is going to appear when everybody is saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, woman, and they shall not escape. There. How hard was that? I had it right there for you in my head. And so that's what's going to happen there. He says, while, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly. That's verse 25. It's just going to be the way it is. It happened then, and it's going to happen again. Uh, And then in verse 25 also, he takes his stand against the prince that is Jesus Christ. uh, And it says in verse 25, but he is destroyed, um, but not by human power. So the Lord Jesus Christ by his word. Let me read Revelation 19 to you. Then I saw the beast, the Antichrist, the world leader, Mr. President of the world, and the kings of the earth, his coalition. And their armies gathered together to make war against the rider of the horse. The rider of the horse is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was just named King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They see him, know who he is, and they gather to fight him. It puts the being dumb, like I said last week, <laughs> verse 20. But the beast was captured, Antichrist captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Revelation chapter 19. Uh, So Antiochus dies not by human hands either. He dies of a disease. But the Antichrist will die not of human hands. He dies at the hand of Jesus Christ. 
now the closing verses, really, the vision is to be not something that Daniel needs to go out and start teaching and heralding, uh, because they won't, the Jews won't be ready for it, right? Because we still have an, uh, some exchange of kingdoms to happen. And so he's saying it's not for right now. Uh, it's going to come uh, in the latter days. Um, uh, but he's made sick. Poor Daniel. You know, he's an older gentleman by now. And he's seen the bloodshed and the murder. And, 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 and he's seeing the whole thing unfold. And he's probably wondering why God lets it happen. And he's grieved. I mean, the Jews aren't even back in their temple that's been destroyed. They're, they're going to go back from Babylon at the time of this dream. Uh, Daniel's going to live to see them going back and rebuilding the temple. They're not even got their, they don't even have their temple rebuilt yet. And he's seeing things about that rebuilt temple called Zerubbabel's temple be not not quite destroyed, but ransacked and and defiled. And the Jews killed as well. And so, uh, of course, he's laying around there and uh, he's keeping all of these things to himself. So here's how it went down in uh, 167 BC after the three years, right? So Antiochus uh, uh, goes into the temple. I told you, you sacrifice some swine and some people put up the statue of, of Zeus. And this, of course, is called the abomination of desolation, the first one. Three years later, there's a family called the Hasmoneans. The Hasmoneans are very zealous Jews, and that Mr. Hasmonean has five sons, and one of them is named Judah. And Judah starts to lead an army to revolt and to get back into the temple and to cleanse the temple and get rid of the Greeks. And so he leads a group called the Maccabees. And where you get the word Maccabee from is, is that this group took who is like you, O God, in Hebrew and took the first letter of each word and it comes out to, if you put some vowels in there, to Maccabee. So they call themselves the Maccabees. And so led by this Hasmonean guy, but they call him Judah Maccabee. But his, his, his name, he's a Hasmonean, all right? Anyway, they go in and guess what? <laughs> 40,000 of them. They put the Greeks to flight. They get into the temple. They cleanse it. They get rid of Zeus. They clean the place up. They rededicate everything. They pour oil into the menorah and the lampstand. They only had enough oil for one day to light the eight uh, candles there. And so, but it burned eight days. And Hanukkah was born. That's where Hanukkah comes from, from this whole scene. And so, and, and by the way, Han, the first Hanukkah was on December 25th. It has it. The Jewish month and the date was the 25th of December. Uh, just interesting. And so, you know, this is what Jesus says about to the Jews. So he says, so when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go back down to take anything out of the house. 
Let no one in the field go back to get their coat. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing moms. Pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or on the Sabbath because a law-abiding Jew on the Sabbath is only allowed to go a thousand paces. So some of them will stay put because it's the Sabbath. He's saying, hey, pray that it doesn't take place on the Sabbath. For then there will be, listen, great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. So he's saying, three and a half years after the abomination of desolation to come, Jesus appears. And he tells them to have great hope to be able to look back, and those Jews are going to look back. They're going to have their Bibles, and they're going to be reading Hebrew, and they're going to get it, and they're going to understand. They're going to have clues. 1,260 days from the abomination of desolation, Jesus appears, and they know they have three and a half years to, to hold out against the beast, the Antichrist, the little horn, the prince to come, the lawless one. These are all names for the same guy. It's so interesting to me that even today, the headlines, today, Greece to pull out of Europe. That's a headline. Greece and their new prime minister, who is an atheist, is wanting to pull out of the European Union, and everybody in the European Union is not very happy about that. It doesn't, it could be nothing, right? But what I'm saying to you is, is that's the region. These are the people that we're talking about. And even today, things are unstable over there. Who is that guy? What is he doing? And they're going to pull a whole country out of, the Europe, out of Europe? What? What's happening there? That's so exciting. <laughs> it's just really exciting without even saying anything. This could go on another hundred years. I don't see how when we have the capabilities of destroying the world and everybody's threatening to do it. I don't see how another hundred years goes, but I'm not a, uh, who knows? All I'm telling you to do is read the news. These are the regions of the world. Everything that was was shown Daniel, is textbook stuff. So the, the rest of it is going to be textbook stuff at just a matter of time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, just thank you tonight. Even though it's a difficult chapter and just uh, uh, a lot of complicated thinking and remembering of symbols and Lord, we just kind of get the overall picture. <laughs> and we pray that you would help it to inspire us to live more holy for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.